The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. And as he went a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boats mending the nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It is so good to see you. Already this morning, I've met people that have never been to First, people that are visiting family. I know that you've been meeting people around you. It's good, and I'm so glad to see you. Your presence here matters. And when you're not here, your presence matters. In fact, in first service, I I welcome those that are listening online. Uh, Marvin and Mary have told me repeatedly, we listen to you, Brady, online. And right now, our hearts and our prayers are with Marvin and Mary. You see, our physical presence is not bound by space and time. We can be present even when we are away. But I'm glad, I'm so glad that you're here. If this is your first time, let me just let you know that last week we started a brand new series called Kingdom Now. And I want to kind of reset your memory and remind you of where we've been, of where we've come. We looked at the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And we looked at his message of the Gospel, that the Kingdom of God has arrived and it's at hand, and that people were invited to experience that in the person of Jesus and in the proclamation of Jesus that God's reign had hit human history. And our response to that is in repentance, or turning to align ourselves with the reign of God, and in trusting that God's kingdom is a perfectly safe place to be. Now, the words of Jesus are pretty short. They're pretty simple. And I think we get this message proclaimed in word, but we see it even more profoundly in his presence, in his body. Whenever we think about the most powerful way to capture hearts and lives, it's usually through image, or story, or metaphor. And I think that's why I like commercials. Does anybody else like commercials? If you come across a good commercial, you need to share it with me. I like, I like to see a message communicated in a short period of time, you know, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. So much gets compressed. In fact, there's one commercial that's stuck in my mind, even though it's very old, and it's one I couldn't even find online because it's been back so far. And in this particular commercial, there is a man coming home from work, and he is he's spent. Hands are on the steering wheel, the the shot is very tightly focused on him, and he's just looking out his window, honking his horn. You could tell that he's not going anywhere. He's stuck. He finally picks up the phone, calls his spouse and says, well, I guess I'm going to be late. Hangs up the phone and spits. And it's at that moment 
that the, the camera begins to pan backwards just a little bit. And you start to see, is he stuck in traffic at all? Where, where is this guy? It comes back further. He's honking his horn, looking around. He's actually on the assembly line. They're putting together his car. And he's sitting there impatiently ready to drive his car off the assembly line. Now, I, I love that because it, it takes what we expect, that he's stuck in traffic, going home from work, and turns it ever so slightly to say, oh, this guy is pretty interested in this car. He's excited for a new set of wheels. And it helps us kind of get a sense that maybe he's bought into this brand of car. He's sold out. This is the experience that he wants. Well, maybe Mark, maybe Jesus knows that image and metaphor and story are a profound way to capture us. Because if we look at the words of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus doesn't say very much at all. In fact, this message of the Gospel is so short that we can memorize it. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe good news. It's so short, we can memorize it, we can almost forget about it. But if we pull back and look at the scene, the scene is fairly compelling. It's maybe enough if we watch that we might want to sit down and see this movie a little longer. So if you would, you don't have to do this, but close your eyes and imagine a lake. A calm lake in an arid region of the country. Few trees. Maybe somewhere kind of like Albuquerque. Maybe somewhere that you've done paddle boarding. A calm lake. But, but this lake, it's not really given towards recreation. It's more of a place of business. Look as there are fishermen littering the shores. And you hear kind of a squeaky sign that says, as it sways in the breeze blowing off the sea, fish for sale. And you look, and there is a dark, complected, bearded Middle Eastern man walking the shores and he approaches two brothers, Pete and Andy. And he looks at them with directness and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers for people. Pete and Andy are casting nets that are of the throwing variety into the ocean, into the sea. Immediately, they leave their nets and follow this man. Do they let those nets drift to the bottom of the lake? Do they leave them to rot on the shores? Do they leave them behind for some other fishermen to gather them up in their supplies? Well, the Middle Eastern man keeps walking and goes a little further to two more brothers who are bobbing in a boat with their father, old Zeb, and the hired hand. And you look on the side of the boat and it says, Thunder Fish Company. And Jesus looks at them, this bearded Middle Eastern man, and says, come follow me and I will make you to become fishers for people. And James and John, who are doing seamstress work in the boat, mending the holes in the webbing of the net, stop 
drop the nets, stand, exit the boat, and they leave their father, old Zeb, bobbing there in the water, alone with the hired hand, wondering about the future of his fishing company, wondering why his two heirs apparent have left him, and maybe less concerned about the family business as he is concerned with relationship with family. Well, you can open your eyes. I, I don't know what to think about this. This instant following of the bearded Middle Eastern man named Jesus, did he have relationship with these guys beforehand? Very possibly. Did he ask other fishermen along the shore the same question? Follow me. Maybe. And as I think and look at the work and the ministry of Jesus, this is an interesting story of a group of people, four of them, that form the core of Jesus' apostles. They become this tight-knit inner circle of Jesus' followers who leave everything behind. They leave behind relationships. They leave behind equipment, career, and security. And we don't know what makes them instantly follow, but what we do know is what they give up. They leave the, un, they leave the known security of family, of finances. They leave the familiarity of fish and scales for what they don't know. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm thinking and imagining Jesus and what his mission is of challenging political authorities, of upending religious power structures, this seems odd. If I'm assembling a group of people to overthrow a government, I don't know that I would choose smelly fishermen. If I'm thinking about looking at the stale and stagnant structures of religion and wanting to challenge it and push it further, would, would fishermen be the place to go? Is that the image that I would want people to know and to see? One thing that is very clear if you look at this passage is what a disciple does. The primary and the fundamental characteristic of what a disciple is to do is they are to follow after Jesus. Seems pretty clear, seems pretty straightforward. Will we fall in line and get behind Jesus? Not trust our own leadership, not trust our own credibility, not trust our own most likely to succeed awards, but get in line behind Jesus. You see, responsiveness to the call is what designates these people as followers. They are in line behind Jesus. And, and what I'm trying to express today first is a challenge about whether or not we would respond to the call of Jesus in our lives. Would we turn and trust? Would we surrender our own kingdom to the greater kingdom of God? Would we trust that the rule and the reign of God is a place where we can live 
in safety and security, even if all hell breaks loose around us, we're living inside of the kingdom of God. What's expected of us is really very similar, that we stand up and we surrender and lay down those things that are familiar to us. Our ways of making money, our careers, our equipment, our tools that we love so much, to let that go away. Now, you might think that this kind of surrendering means we're letting those nets just sink into the sea or rot on the shore. That's not what I'm talking about. God had brought these four men to this point in their life where fishing and family had made them who they are. And those don't simply go away. They don't simply disappear into the sea. They're surrendered. They're turned over to a greater and more significant cause. When I think about this kind of life, when I think about answering the call of Jesus, I think of a couple examples, real-world examples, that we know the faces of these people. Tim and Beth Neuenschwander, who for five decades have served in ministry faithfully all across the country. They have trusted God with their support through local congregations. And now they're entering into a new phase, a new calling of God, where God invites them out of the local congregation and invites them to serve in new ways where they don't trust the church to provide for them. That is an act of faith. When something like that happens, when a great minister steps away, people start to wonder, oh, what, what are we going to do next? Who, how are we going to replace this person? What, how are we going to cover these things? Tim has worked for many years, training, mentoring others. But one person in particular he's spent a lot of time with, drawing him ever deeper into ministry, first into worship, and then over the last several years, deeper into tasks and responsibilities in the lifeblood of First Congregation. So I think of Jimmy and Sammy Penner. Jimmy is one who earns his living as a respiratory therapist during the day. And the work that he does for FIRST has been on the side. It's been part-time. And while Jimmy is not going to replace Tim, that's impossible, right? Jimmy is not going to be Tim. Jimmy is going to be Jimmy. I see him as an example of someone who's leaving the safety of his career behind him and looking toward coming alongside us in a full-time capacity to serve in worship and small groups and to serve in administration and involving people in ministry to grow into this work of this congregation. I think about our own lives, too. We must answer this same question, are we willing to surrender our kingdom, to surrender our path of comfort to the kingdom of God? Will we follow after Jesus? You know, there's a second thing that shows up in this passage that's, that's hidden. It kind of gets lost in the headline of follow me and come after Jesus. This one's a promise. If you look closely, Jesus' directive to these individuals is follow me and I will make you to become fishers for people. 
The promise is that Jesus is going to take our initial step of following him and turn us into disciples. The word that's used here is the same word that's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint version, whenever God creates the heavens and the earth. This fashioning and making and appointing and creating is God's work, the work of the divine power of God shaping us and forming us into his people. God does the creating and God does the forming. What's really something that I appreciate deeply about this story is that God does it in real time, not necessarily in holy or sanctified time. Did you notice that? Jesus was not perusing uh, the temple to find these followers. Jesus went to the shores. He went to everyday work. He walked alongside of the shore where these nets were laid out and involved them in the midst of their career. You see, this isn't happening when Peter and Andrew and James and John are praying in the temple. This happens as they're going about their lives. When we think about what it is to be made as a disciple, it is fundamentally, this is a person who is following after Jesus. And the word means becoming a learner, becoming a student, becoming an apprentice to Jesus. Because what we're actually doing is we're learning how to live our lives as if Jesus were living our lives. Now pay close attention to that. How would we live our lives as if Jesus is living our lives? Now, I'm not saying that you become Jesus. But when our kingdoms are surrendered to the kingdom of God, Jesus takes up residence there and takes our talents, our gifts, our money, our abilities, and begins to use them for the purposes of the kingdom of God. God is not calling you to be me. He's not calling you to be someone who was a preacher's kid, who went to uh, Christian university, who went on and did training. God's not calling you to be me. He's calling you to be you, where you're at. And so we have to come back to this image of fishing, which is maybe a little strange for some of us, not being full-time fishermen. And maybe sit ourselves down by that shore and think about what fishing is for us. What is our career? What is our way of making a living? Who are the faces of the family and the friends that we spend the most time with? We have to imagine, what would Jesus be like as a third grade teacher teaching my class? If Jesus were a lawyer, what kind of lawyer would he be? How would he function under, under the gifts and the talents that I have as a lawyer, right? As a grandmother, as someone who is making their living in sales, how could we imagine whatever fishing looks like for us under the reign of God? None of us comes ready-made. We just don't. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they weren't ready-made. They were willing to answer the call and follow after Jesus and allow Jesus to begin to form them and shape them. It was a journey that took just a moment, 
but it lasts a lifetime. As moment by moment we are making decisions about how we surrender our kingdom to the kingdom of God. When we look at Peter and Andrew and James and John, this core group of people, they weren't experts. They were fishermen. They were followers. Followers after Jesus. Now again, when I look at Jesus, this is not the structure that I would provide for Jesus. Whenever people are looking for the expectations of what a Messiah would do, what a king would do, this is not it. Jesus doesn't seem interested in forming a political cabinet of powerful people to surround him. He doesn't seem to be interested in creating a business marketing plan and getting the best business minds together. He calls smelly, scaly fishermen who are not all cleaned up. And that's not what people wanted. When people were looking for a kingdom at this time, they were looking for the glory days. A return to what used to be. Right? We want King David. We want King Solomon. We want a time when Israel is the world power. When we have a gold-encrusted temple built by Solomon, conceived of by David. That is what we want. And yet Jesus comes and says, directly, follow me, and I will make you into fishers of people. Jesus' mission was the making of disciples. Now this part I could get myself in trouble a bit, because when I look at the state of Christianity in the United States, making of disciples is not what churches are about. More often than not, churches today are interested in warm bodies, with deep pockets, who will do some service on the side, right? I mean, these are the things that we can count. Warm bodies, deep pockets, do a little service. And that's a reduction of, all of it is important, but it is a reduction of discipleship. Because when Jesus comes in, he takes over it all. He's not like a normal rabbi where disciples kind of say, oh, I want to follow you, and the disciple chooses. Jesus flips that norm and says, no, I'm choosing you. You come with me. I'm going to make you into a, into a fisher of people. I'm going to make you into a disciple. This upsets the norm because Jesus wants to move in and be into partnership with us. Jesus is not interested in covering up meanness, covering up abusive relationships, Jesus is challenging us to surrender our marriage, to surrender our career, to surrender our anger to the kingdom of God, to abandon things that are moving counter to the kingdom of God. These learners, these apprentices that we call ourselves, these disciples that we are to be, have surrendered. Not that we've let go of and we will no longer be fishermen, or no longer have the families that we have, but we've let go of the need to be secure and safe, and we're willing to trust unknown territory because we're going with God. My number one goal, my greatest interest, is the making of disciples. Wherever that is, of me, of my family, of the people that are around me, this is what I am most interested in, living, breathing manifestations of the kingdom of God. 
And yes, it's about fishing for other people, but Jesus starts with this group of people well before they're able to fish for people and says, come along and I will make you fishers of men. Now you might get confused and think that I'm looking for perfect people or that that's what Jesus is looking for. Folks, these are not perfect people. I'm looking for real people, people with pasts, people with records, people with present struggles. God is not waiting for you to get your life cleaned up and perfect before you come and follow. He says, come along. Let's go. Live in the kingdom of God now. Experiment with God's reign in the present, not in the future tense. That will take care of itself. That's God's work. Come along now. And so I challenge us. I challenge us as a church, but even more I challenge us as each individual person that's a disciple of this congregation. How will we live our lives as if Jesus were living our lives? How will we bring all that we are and even all that we are not into the kingdom of God? Not worried about being someone else, not trying to be Jesus, not trying to copy someone else in this community, but being a living, breathing manifestation of the kingdom of God now. As Jesus looks us in the eye, he's given us a command to come and follow. And it's a command that comes with a promise that he will take care of us, that we have nothing to worry about in the kingdom of God, even if the world is crazy around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you take us as we are, broken, unwieldy, and sometimes as stubborn as Peter. Thank you for these common, everyday people who took an uncommon and bold step to trust this message of the gospel, that you alone reign, and that that starts with what we hold in our hands and what we hold in our hearts as we surrender it all to you. Father, would you help us? We are weak, we are smelly, and we are not as we want to be. Would you please live up to your promise that if we will follow you, you will make us into disciples. And we pray that this church, this neighborhood, this city, and the future of this world be different because of your work through this group of people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.